Thanks for tuning in to Christian Medical and Dental Association's chapel. May the message be a blessing to you. Thank you, Mike. Um, as Mike mentioned, I am blessed to be able to wear a few different hats, and the one of the hats that opens up a lot of doors and opportunities to minister that most people wouldn't think of is what he mentioned, is that my primary professional career is that I'm a CPA. And I, I love ministry. I, I, I always introduce myself as a pastor first because that is my first love. Uh, but whenever I, people ask, you know, would your dream be to be able to pastor full-time, I say, well, honestly, although on the one hand that sounds great, the reality is that a lot of my best opportunities to minister to people actually come up when someone comes to me, ironically enough, as a CPA. And, and a lot of that is because a lot of our work is, you know, doing pro bono tax returns and helping people out that are going through tough situations. And when you are dealing with someone who's going through a financial struggle, a lot of times you see them at their rawest and, and at their, their biggest struggles. And in particular, one of the things that we often deal with are people who are uh, uh, w newly uh, widowed uh, women or people who are dealing with the loss of a family member. And so we're seeing them with you know, financial struggle, but also still going through and trying to process loss. And one of the things that we've seen over the last several years, you know, as people have come in, we've we have this uh, basically this library in our lobby of, of books that people can take. And so a lot of times if we have the chance to have a conversation with someone as we're walking them out, we'll point that out to them and we'll um, basically recommend or, or invite them to take a book. And one of the things that we've seen throughout the years is that by far the most popular book to take um, is a book that some of you may be familiar with called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by a guy named Philip Keller. And as we hear people see that and respond to it, it's, it's interesting that people, most of whom are not in churches, though are professing Christians, but are not really engaged with Scripture and say, yeah, I should be in church, but I'm really not. But they know Psalm 23, and so they immediately see that book and say, oh, I love Psalm 23, and they get that and they take that. And, and later on, even some of the ones that we'll get to see again, even though we haven't been able to get them in church yet, they'll say, can I get another copy of that book? I love that and want that, to give that to someone else. And so... I've tried to take that as a cue that that may be God telling me that Psalm 23 is a great way for me to be able to uh, speak scripture to someone, to comfort someone going through loss, and also to be able to share the gospel with them. And so I'm going to go to this very familiar passage today. We're not going to look at the whole thing. I'm just going to look at the first uh, four verses of this. But in particular, I want to kind of share some of the things that I've been able to learn and see and experience, both through Philip Keller's book and other studies of Psalm 23 about how we might be able to speak comfort into somebody who is dealing with loss through this psalm, but again, how we also might be able to point them to the gospel. Uh, so I'm going to start out by first reading the, the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Uh, up to this point in the Psalms, you know, we mostly have seen God referred to by very powerful but also largely impersonal titles as, as King and as Lord and as Creator. And as David refers to him as shepherd here, this is really the, the most intimate way that God is referred to up to this point. And not just intimate because of the title, but obviously intimate because of what it means to David as a shepherd. 
one of the things that Philip Keller talks about in his book is just how precious and how valuable a, a flock is to any shepherd. And he talks about how for years of his life he was trying to save up money until he could finally buy his flock. And when he did, everything that he had, all of his financial assets were invested in the purchase of this flock and how precious they were to him. That's an indicator that when we talk about God being our shepherd is to say that we are recognizing that we are precious and valuable to God. And on one hand, someone may think, well, God has everything. God creates everything. God, God doesn't, have any, uh, doesn't have a limited bank account. How can we be precious to him? But we see the answer to that in Acts 20 when, when Paul is speaking to the elders at Ephesus. And he says, shepherd the flock that has been purchased at the cost of the God's own son of his blood. When we think about the fact that we are the flock that God saw to be so valuable that he sent his son to pay with his life to purchase us to belong to him, we're saying we must be valuable and important to God. And if we recognize that we're that valuable and important to God, then he also needs to be important to us. And so when David then says, he is my shepherd, he is really expressing the fact that his orientation is toward God. His focus is on him. A sheep's entire quality of life is pretty much dictated by the capability and the reliability of a shepherd. If a sheep has a good shepherd, then that sheep's life is set. If a sheep has a bad shepherd, then it has very little hope. And when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is saying, everything about how my life goes is dependent on the fact that I belong to God. He is my shepherd. And he even goes so far as to say that he does not want or he does not lack. It's a funny thing with Psalm 23 and some familiar passages is that different translations, when you hear it a little bit different, you're thinking, that's not the way I've heard it. But as we hear different translations, we can start to get some of the depth of some of the meanings of these words. The Hebrew word there, chaser, it literally means to be missing a piece, to have something out of us, to be incomplete. And so in one sense, technically, the, the idea of I shall not lack is, is correct. It is basically to say, as, as long as the Lord is my shepherd, I can say that there is nothing missing. I am complete. I am whole. I am at peace. Yet the idea of I shall not be in want is valuable as well because there's an emotional component to that as well. Think about how we feel when something is lacking. We just feel off. We feel discontented, we feel unsettled, we feel anxious. And so when David says that he does not lack, he is saying, there's no need for me to feel anxious because there is no peace that is missing. And this is true even though he recognizes that on this earth we have all kinds of loss and all kinds of incompletion. And the things that we tend to go to on this earth to complete us, even good things ultimately will all disappoint us to some degree. It may be a material thing that doesn't quite give us the fulfillment that we hoped. Or maybe getting over a financial hurdle that doesn't quite eliminate all of our struggles. Or getting through one health struggle only to find another one's right behind it. Or maybe a relationship where that relationship just isn't what we hoped for. Or maybe the person is all that we hoped for, but then that person dies. And so whatever we find on this earth that we think is going to fill us up, is going to complete us in some way, that's going to be found to be insufficient but that's also a way that God draws us to himself. It's the famous Augustine quote, isn't it? That God has made us for himself, and so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And, and so all this incompletion and all these things that we find that just don't quite meet it, it's God saying, that's because you're not made for them. You're made for me. 
And so David is saying, all these other things that I might lack and that I might miss, I really lack nothing because I know that I am made for God. And then he starts to describe how he can make such a bold and broad statement. And he says that, that, that God makes him to lie down in green pastures. And it's important that we see that, that phrase there, that he makes him lie down. I don't know about you guys, but I love my getting my rest. And if there's one feeling I feel more than anything else, I bet you guys are the same as that. I'm always tired and I'm always sleeping. And so if it's time to lay down, no one has to make me. It's not quite that easy with sheep. Philip Keller talks about the fact that really a sheep requires the perfect setting and environment and feeling to lay down. If a sheep has fear, it won't lay down. If it has anxiety because it, it, it is feeling tension within the flock, it won't lay down. If it's irritated because bugs and pests are getting in it, it won't lay down. If it's hungry, it won't lay down. He said it really takes the perfect environment, a lack of all these things for a sheep to, a sheep to be willing to lay down. And he says when, when he sees the flock, very often the, the flock will start to tremble because something is wrong. They're afraid, or they're anxious, or they're tense, or they're hungry. But he says what's interesting is the thing that will most often give the flock calm is for him just to walk among them. And sometimes to come up to uh, uh, this trembling sheep and just to put his hand on them and just to see it kind of calm down. Can we relate sometimes when we're unease, when we, we're dealing with a loss, we're dealing with some anxiety, it almost feels like we're just a trembling little animal? We can just relate to that figuratively, that that's what our heart is feeling like. I love the picture when he talks about putting his hand on a sheep. It reminds me of Revelation 1 when, when John gets the, the vision of the Son of Man. And it's, it's terrifying, amazing, glorious vision, but it's, it's terrifying. He says, and I fell down at his feet as if I were dead. And then the Son of Man places his hand on him and says, do not be afraid. And I love when he talks about just placing his hand on a trembling sheep and that sheep calming down. saying, It's like it's what God does to us when we're, we're at our most vulnerable and are weak and we just feel like nothing can give us rest. And it's God placing his hand on us and say, just be at peace. Do not fear anymore. He goes on to say that he leads him beside quiet waters. What's interesting is that sheep actually don't have to go to a, a body of water to drink that much. They, in, in a good field, there will be dew every morning. And so typically what they do is they'll do a lot of their grazing in the morning. They'll actually get enough water just from the grass in the morning that they don't usually have to go and to go to a body of water to drink. But every so often, there won't be enough dew or the grass isn't sufficient or, or it's just too hot. And so they'll have to find a body of water. And then the biggest struggle is to get them to not drink the wrong water. And a sheep that does not trust its shepherd, as it gets led by any water, will immediately go and drink it. But it might be dirty water. It might be contaminated water. But it, the shepherd can't pull that sheep away from that water because the shepherd thinks, here's water. I've got to drink it. But a sheep that has experience with its shepherd will know that the shepherd has taken them to good water. And they'll go past that water because they'll say, if the shepherd doesn't want me to drink here, it's because he has something better for me. And what David is saying here is saying, I don't have to go in to look for this insufficient, this dirty, this contaminated source of refreshment. God will take me to the true refreshment. That's really what I need. He says he as well that he refreshes my soul. The, the term literally is, he turns me back up. He turns me back over. 
one of the biggest dangers with a, a sheep is that a sheep will become cast. It's when we hear actually talk about the phrase downcast. One of the origins of that is talking about how a sheep can be cast down. It can be can basically fall over, and when a sheep gets on its back, it's fallen over. It's not getting back up on its own. It's a very vulnerable position for sheep to be in, and especially this happens with, with, with pregnant ewes, and, and because they, especially, they're uncoordinated, they get on their back, and they're flowing around, and it's dangerous physiologically because these gases can build up, but, but also they're in the, this position, they can do nothing to get away from a predator or to defend themselves, and very often when they get cast, when they, when they fall down, they'll fall down into a ditch where they're not easily visible, and so they'll start crying, to hopefully desperately, to get the shepherd's attention. And Keller talks about that point is almost like this race against time because the shepherd will be out looking and realize that one of my sheep is not visible and he's going around and he's running and he's calling out to it and he's listening to it. Can he get to it before a, 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 some kind of dangerous predator can get to it? Can he get to it in, in time to get it turned over before it is too late? And when he finally finds the sheep, what he will often do is he will then have to gently start to turn it over. But he can't just place it on his feet and go because the, the sheep isn't yet ready. The blood, all the blood has gone away from the legs and it's still off balance. And so what the shepherd will have to do is just to very gently and gradually start to turn it over. And then we'll often we'll put it between his legs and we'll kind of start to massage his legs as it holds it up. As it starts to get some strength back. And then often we'll just kind of caress it and calm it down. Uh, Bill Keller talks about a lot of times we'll kind of tease the, the sheep a little bit. When are you going to get some coordination? But it's this teasing done in love. He says it's kind of like that when God turns us back over. You know, we, we keep getting tripped up on things that shouldn't trip us up. And we think, well, God is going to get so tired of coming and restoring me. But he doesn't. He's a compassionate and patient God. And when we cry out to him... That's what he wants. He wants us to realize that we need him to come and to get us up. And so even if we don't realize, sometimes he's gently turning us over and getting us ready to be able to stand on our feet again. And he says even further that he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. One thing that's interesting Killer talks about is the fact that you can tell a good shepherd by the field that their sheep are populating. Because a shepherd that doesn't know how to guide his sheep in the right spots, the, a she, uh, the sheep will just basically tear that field apart. It'll be ruined and no one else will be able to use it. It'll be no good for them. But a good shepherd will, will put their sheep exactly where they need to be and they'll direct them and they'll move them from place to place and make sure that they're walking in the right places so they don't ruin the crops. He says, and you can look at a field and tell when a shepherd knows what he is doing. And he says here that he guides me in the right path for his name's sake. In other words, he's saying when, when God directs us in the right path, when he puts us in a place that we're able to do exactly what we're able to do, it's not for our glory so other people can know he or she has a good shepherd. They have someone who is guiding their life that knows what they are doing. They're not ruining resources for other people, but rather they are being a benefit. They are being a blessing to others. That's someone that I want to get to know as well. But as David is describing these things, as he's talking in such positive language, it's easy for us to think, well, that's what it sounds like when everything's going well. I feel that way too when I'm having a good day. But David's not speaking from a position that everything is going well. Because notice what he says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When we start to go through really hard times, we start to go through sorrow and loss, it's so often the times when we start to feel like, well, God's so far away from me, or God's abandoned me, or, or, or why has God left me here? Does God not love me? Is God not there? But as a shepherd, David knew that that's not what these dark times would mean. Most often when a shepherd would take this sheep through a, a dark valley, it was very often during the spring migration because, you know, in different seasons they would have to take them to different fields. And so, especially in the summer, they would often, a, a shepherd would go off with his sheep for an extended period of time away from everything else and would, would basically find a field that would be usually at a higher elevation. It would be cooler. It would be better in the summer. And, and during that time, it would just be this intimate and this, this just loving time of the shepherd with his sheep. But to get to there, to get to those higher elevations, you usually had to pass through these dark valleys. And these dark valleys would be these ravines, and, and they often would have as high walls on other sides, so much so that the light could even reach the bottom. And they would be barren, and they would often be dry, and they would get really hot. And they'd be dangerous because you'd be turning around these corners and you wouldn't know what kind of predator, what kind of thief or enemy could be around the corner. So they were dangerous times. And if a sheep didn't know its shepherd, then they could get very anxious and unruly and start to run. But a sheep that had, had experience with a shepherd would know that that shepherd can protect me. And in particular, he would have two different tools that he would use. He, he would talk about the fact that he would have his, his rod and his staff. A rod very often would be a, a more of an a, a offensive uh, weapon. And so usually it would be a, basically just this short stick and they could use to be able to strike at predators, be able to throw. A shepherd would, from a young age, would actually train to be able to throw these things with remarkable accuracy. And the staff they could use as well to be able to fend things off, but also could be able to use to direct the sheep. It would have that crook in it that very often they would be able to pull them away from danger. And so a sheep would know, even though I'm going through this dangerous place, I know that there is nothing to fear because I know that my shepherd can protect me and he will guide me and he will take care of me. And likewise, we start, when we start to think, well, I don't want to go through this dark place. Why is God having me go there? Very often, it's the time where we most need to know God is with us. Because to go from the place where we are to the place that He wants us to have isn't always easy. We're sinful people. We live in a sinful world. We're not made for, for this world, for fallen creation. We're made for eternity with Him. But to get there, we still live in this fallen world. And, and so to get to this place where we can have this beautiful eternal communion with Him, we still have to walk through danger. But the question is, do we start to think that we're alone or do we start to think that we are with Him? What's beautiful at this point in the, in the psalm is that David, if you may notice, he stopped talking in third person. He started talking in second person. He'd been saying he, and now he's saying you. So at the time when he seems to be at his most vulnerable, his most weak, he stops talking about God and he starts talking to Him. I love a, a theologian, I love D.A. Carson one time in a book on prayer. He says, you can always, when you're praying with someone, you can always tell someone who has a good relationship with God. Just the way that they talk to God. He says, you can tell if they're used to talking to God. That's what we get from David here. It's almost like saying, you know, I, I want to brag on my God. I want to talk about him, but 
now I've, I've just got to talk to him. And that's a challenge for us. When, when we are going through these dark times, what's our first instinct to complain of, to other people about how God is making us go through these trials? Or is our instinct just to go to God and just to reflect on and to declare how good he is to us? Because David is reflecting on all of these things and, and, and acknowledging all that God does even in the difficult times. And maybe he's doing this because he needs to be reminded himself that yes, I am going through a difficult time, but as I reflect back and think about my life, I can think about the fact that really I've never lacked anything that I need. He always has been able to offer me peace, even at my most anxious. He's always been able to protect me against any threat. And even as we go through this difficult place, I know it is because he has taken me to somewhere that he will be with me. And so even as we're in this dark, dark world at times, we're reminded that God did not leave us here alone. Rather, He sends His Son to die for us and then to be with us and then to be our good shepherd who even lays down His life for us. Because this dark valley, and it can be a lot of things, obviously. It can be sorrow. It can be fear. But a lot of your translations will say the valley of the shadow of death. And obviously that's the darkest shadow. And for all the other sorrows that we experienced, or that we do experience, how much more so is death? A, a death of someone that we've loved, an impending death of someone that we love, or even becoming more and more aware of our own impending death. And there's fear. And there's sorrow. And it should be. Death is an enemy. And yet at the same time, if we realize that it is through that darkest valley that God is actually closest to us. Not, not ahead of us, not guiding us, but right there with us. And it's like David is saying, even as I experience sorrow, and we look at the other Psalms and we see David's sorrow. It's why we can be so thankful for the Psalms because this is not just David speaking facts. This is David revealing his emotion and at times speaking very painfully to God. God, why am I here? We see God's heart, we've got David's heart revealed through the Psalms, but we know that even as he is someone who laments deeply, he does so to God and he does so with faith and trust. And he does so covered up with this reminder that yes, even though I still experience sorrow and pain and maybe even doubt at times, I am reminded that you are with me through these darkest of times. And that's something that hopefully we can not only remember ourselves, but we can share with others as well. Maybe ask them the question, do you feel right now almost like you're walking through a dark ravine, through a barren land? Do you feel like the light isn't reaching you? Do you feel like something's around the corner that you just don't know what's there? And very often they're going to say yes. Would you like to know that someone is with you who's been there? Would you like to know that someone is there who can protect you, who can guide you? And would you like to know that as you're walking through that path, it is because He is actually walking you to a place that you can have eternal, perfect communion with Him. And if they'd like to know that, we can share with them, that's actually the truth. Because God did send His Son to die for us. And now He is with us. And He wants to be with us for eternity. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power and the vividness and the picture, but the truth of what you declare to us. 
Father, we ask that not only that we would hold on to your word, to your promises, to your truth in our darkest of times, but that we would also be ready to share it with others as well. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to any of the who are around us, whether they are here or whether they are, are someone we will encounter later on today or later on this week. If there is someone that is going through sorrow and pain and doubt and anxiety, Father, we just ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see their suffering, and that you would give us the words to say to point them to you. And Father, we ask that if they do know you, that they would draw into closer and more, more joyous communion with you through those words. And Father, we ask that if they do not know your Son as our Lord and Savior, that through your word, you would draw them to yourself. Father, we thank you again for the great gift it is not only to have your word, but to study and reflect on it and just to rejoice in it together. And we ask these things in your Son's holy name. Amen.